Hello and welcome. This is podcast of Ukraine World. Ukraine World is an information and communication initiative focused on Ukraine. Today we have uh, Paul Nieland, who is um, a founder of Statement Email, which is a crowdfunding initiative, who is a columnist for Kiev Post and other newspapers, but uh, mainly we're interested in him as a commentator about Ukrainian events. Uh, he's publishing very often. Hello, Paul. Thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of the podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And today we are talking about the most important problem in Ukraine, one of the most important problems, meaning corruption. We yeah. talk a lot when we have the elections coming in the next year, talking a lot about a corruption problem. Do you think it is that bad in Ukraine? It's certainly corruption was that bad in Ukraine because it caused a revolution. Right. And, and it was a, a revolution where the energy was sustained for 93 days and millions of people participated in it. And I think one of the one of the defining uh, images from the revolution for me was uh, footage that came out of Sumy Town Council. And Sumy, as we know, is right on the border of Russia. And we're talking like real eastern eastern Ukraine. And the local population flooded that town hall meeting and were enraged about some local episode that had just taken place. So. Yes, it was a very bad situation. The fact of the matter is, is that it still is a bad situation. Ukraine is still a very corrupt country. But what I think is important now, and especially you just mentioned with the election season about to, to open up, what people need to do more, and that means locally as well as Ukraine's international partners as well, is is you need to look at the question of corruption not as an abstract and it's one word and corruption is this or whatever and it it, it needs to be broken down and 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 we need to look at um the the anti-corruption successes that we've had since the revolution the the anti-corruption mechanisms that have been put in place that are working to save the ukrainian taxpayer money and 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 you know the, there are some anti-corruption measures that have been in recent months rolled back or challenged to to a degree as well or um, or abused and 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 so we need to be in the, the 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 conversation about corruption. We need to be more contextualized. We need to be looking at the specifics of what has been done, and then the most important thing is to make specific plans about what is going to be done. And, and that's something that has to come from the, the people who are in charge of making laws, right? And, and so you know. let's look at what has been done. Yep. Uh, starting from 2014, what do you think have been achievements in anti-corruption process? The biggest one is, is quite clearly the reform in Naftogas. So Naftogas was a, was a company previously that was costing the state 8% of its GDP because the people who were um, running Naftogas essentially um, were, were looting it for all that they could get out of it. Naftogas is oil and gas monopoly. It, it is the state oil, oil and gas company, yeah, owned by the state, run by the the cabinet of ministers, and and it really was a it was a cesspit. It was it was from Naftogas that people who were who were directing political projects here and political projects that would be hand in hand with Russian interests in Ukraine. Um, it was from Naftogas that these people, you know, uh, embezzled billions of dollars, and and then you know kept part of that money for themselves to enjoy their homes in Mayfair or, 
or, or in Vienna or wherever it might be, because that's where Mr. Firtash is at the moment, under house arrest, as we know. But, um, you know, and, and then those monies were elected, were, were used in helping get pro-Russian politicians elected here. And so NAFTA gas worked hand in hand with Russia in that, uh, uh, that in, towards those goals. But NAFTA gas is now the, the single largest taxpayer in Ukraine, right? So going from being a, a negative 8% of the GDP black hole, which you know, was then a slush fund for oligarchs and Russian interests, to paying $1 billion per year in dividends to the state or in, or in tax, corporate profit tax. That is a massive turnaround. That's a massive success story, but it's not the only one. The, 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 one of the ways in which oligarchs used to enrich themselves as well at the expense of the state, at the expense of, of taxpayers, was through public procurement. And we have this ease, uh, sorry, prosoro system that we, that we have in place now. It's certainly not perfect. We know that people are trying to abuse it if they can find a way around uh, the, the, the way that the system is set up. Um, but the reality is, in the majority of cases, it works and it saved, again, billions of dollars. We have the e-declarations, and the e-declarations meant that every um, either politician or bureaucrat had to demonstrate the source of their wealth and, and you know, declare their assets and their cars and their real estate and their cash and their expensive watches and, and whatever it might be. And that has been taken in recent times and, and, and abused. And there was recently a funny situation where civil society activists were told that they need to fire, uh, file e-declarations as well. And so just last week, they were, they were, the declarations became public and, and people are saying, well, one of, most, one of my most treasured assets is my beautiful Labrador or my goldfish or something like that. You know, in the typical Ukrainian way, these people responded with brilliant humor, right? But the e-declarations, while, we, while we've seen them uh, become abused a little bit, it actually created a great foundational structure for beating corruption in the future, right? But the problem is that they are so huge. They are, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of them, or even even more. Then uh, there is a, a limit of capacity to analyze that. There is a limit of capacity to analyze hundreds of thousands of them. Yes, you're you're absolutely right. But what was promised, in actual fact, after the first e declarations went live, was that the prosecutor general's office was going to take the you know, of the members of parliament, for example the 20 or 30 most egregious examples of uh, obscene and unexplained wealth, and they were going to investigate them. But what's not happened, and so what's not changed here, because that's, that's the important thing, as I, as I say, you know, we need to split out the discussion. We need to look at what has been done, and we need to look at what has not been done and be honest about that and identify those areas of places where we need reform. What has not happened in Ukraine is we've not had the prosecutorial system reformed. And so the, what was supposed to be an analysis of the, 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 the most uh, wealthy members of parliament simply didn't happen. Because let, let, let's come back to this problem issue, but let me ask about NABU, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau. Do you think its setup was a success? Um, I, I don't think the results from NABU so far to date have been anything that we can call a great success. But the setup of it, the fact that it was established, certainly that is a success. Of, of course it is. Again, that's, that's what I was saying. It, you know, 
in 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 part the successes that we can look towards um, and and make examples of they have been the creation of the structures not necessarily how those structures have either been used or this the degree of success of those structures right it's it's the fact of creating them and another very good example as well is the the business ombudsman's office right um, the the business ombudsman's office i know that there was a, a particular law firm who did a lot of pro bono work in in drafting the legislation that enabled the creation of this thing i know that the ebrd invested a lot of money in the creation of this office as well and i know that they they sought out um, a, a very well-qualified candidate who came from the the baltic countries and had formerly been a, a commissioner with the the european union as well they sought out a very well-qualified person to lead this initiative too so you know the, there have been lots of different uh, elements and i and i think as the ukrainian political body continues to evolve um, we'll see those foundations that have been created become far more um, become they'll get more teeth they'll become used far more and and the very fact of the existence of the e declarations whereas in the past people had been motivated to come into either parliament or the upper levels of management of the police forces or the judiciary or the prosecutor general's office or or any of these bodies people had been motivated to go into them because they would then be ways in which they could enrich themselves. That no longer exists. Now people who are moving into those positions, they know that they're going to be examined. The, the, their assets on moving into those positions and the assets that they amass while they're in office or while they're, they're you know, in, in their positions, they're, they're going to be analysed. You cannot have that lawlessness and banditry and and impunity as we used to have and and that is the long-term success of the declarations let's talk about problems what we what ukraine did not achieve or what what it should have been achieving but the, the problem the there is a, a problem or obstacles in achieving that well we just touched on the the prosecutor general's office and that is one of the areas where the the there is in large part of problems and and the the other area, and these things are really hand in glove, the other area is most definitely the judiciary. And so one of the, the, the problems that Ukraine has had in its years of independence is that you couldn't rely on a court to deliver an, uh, an honest verdict based on the merits of the case. The, the, the judges would be influenced either financially or politically, and they would, they would rule in accordance with the pressures that were put on them. Um, uh, or, or the persuasions that were given to them, whichever way around, right? It's a, it's a carrot or a stick. Um, but prior to that, uh, as I was in a conversation with somebody some, some months ago, and I was talking about the judiciary, the problems with the judiciary, and, and what this person explained to me, a, f a former lawyer, um, was she explained that you, you can't expect a judge to rule on something unless evidence has been gathered and that is the job of the, the prosecutor general's office here, right? So in, in other countries in Western Europe, you would, you would have a police force and then you would have an investigative department of the police force. Here it is, the prosecutor general's office. And, and if the prosecutor general, again, because of uh, reasons of political manipulation, if the prosecutor general is not going after investigations into certain e-declarations or investigations into 
whatever the situation might be. We can go back to the killing of Pablo Sharimet, for example, as well. I mean, the, you know, the, the official investigation into that has been a complete and utter failure. There was a journalistic investigation that that followed up on on various uh, angles of inquiry that uncovered a lot more than the official authorities' investigation had done. And and after this um, uh, documentary called "Killing Pavel" had been had been released. Then there was, you know, more publicity around this topic, and and um, the the authorities then said, okay, you know, there are things that we certainly have to follow up on. There are you know, things that have been brought to light as a subject of this documentary. The documentary is now a year ago since it was le- released, and and where are we with that investigation? And and we have to wonder, you know, whether it's something more than incompetence from the investigating authorities. Right. And, and, and we could say the same again, sorry for interrupting you there, I know you wanted to jump in, but we could say the same again for the investigation into the sniper shootings on Maidan on the 20th of February 2014, which recently, three months ago, four months ago, President Poroshenko said that he was going to make this his, his, his personal priority, that it was a personal responsibility, that he took this under his wing. Where, where are we with that? that? That's already four years ago that that incident happened. And why haven't the snipers been investigated? So one of the problems that we have is most certainly in the prosecutor general's office that it is a political tool. It is it is directed and manipulated and does not have a free hand. It does not operate autonomously and independently. The problem is that with the judiciary and with the prosecution that uh, it's, it's all a question of, of people. It's not a question even of laws uh, because we are thinking in Ukraine, everybody's thinking very often in terms of laws, in terms of changing structures. But then we come up to a conclusion very often that it's a question, a question of people. So mm-hmm. you, you have to basically replace many of them. Uh, and take the judiciary, for, for example, the, the reform that uh, was inspired, also uh, pushed for by European institutions like Venice Commission, basically created an autonomous judiciary system, which will be independent from political pressure, but which remained corrupt. How to change that? I, I, I don't think that the last uh, reforms that we're talking about created an autonomous judicial system. It created an autonomous judicial uh, uh, layer. The, the system itself, so I mean, what, what we're talking about is the, the reformation of the Supreme Court, right? Um, but the, the, the judicial system as a whole didn't get any reform. And, and, and yeah, the, the, the point that you raise is, is, is absolutely correct. It, it is the people. The, the, the size of the judiciary in Ukraine, the judges who sit throughout the country on various different levels of, of, of courts and economic courts and criminal courts and, and so on. It's something like 71,000 judges. And of those 71,000, the number of them who could be considered to be honest, who could be, you know, have their, their past rulings examined or have their lifestyles analyzed and, and, you know, who would come up with a clean bill of health and be deemed to be... Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't even want to say non-corrupt, but 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 who who could even be deemed to be uh, salvageable? The the number of those is very very small. The, well, especially those who are dealing with big cases, right? Those who are dealing with small cases, they they can be okay. I you know those those who are dealing with small cases too. I mean, if if it's a small local dispute between. 
between one person and another, another person, it, it, it's still not being decided on the on the facts of the case. It's being decided by who who of the the you know the, the two sides to the case has the best relationship with the judge, or 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 who is offering to service the judge's car for free, or what you know whatever the level of corruption that they might be. I think that the number of of, of judges across that seventy odd thousand. Uh, countrywide across Ukraine, the number of those who can be relied upon to to deliver an honest verdict is is in in percentage terms in single digits. So we we have a rotten body, we have a rotten system, and and the tweak of the recent changes to the Supreme Court or indeed the anti-corruption court, when and if that happens, it's it's a single layer. It doesn't address. The rotten body of the judiciary. That's the problem. But let's talk about anti-corruption court. How do you estimate this discussion around it? Because as far as I understand, the idea of setting up an anti-corruption court was precisely an idea to have a true court body dealing with high-level corruption, which mm-hmm. would be independent of this rotten body of the whole judiciary system. And before we, we reform the judiciary system, let's have this institution. What do you think of it? I, I think in, in theory it sounds like a nice idea, but, but if we look at, I think it was Joe Biden, I think it was Joe Biden's comment to President Poroshenko at the, uh, the Yalta Economic uh, Summit most recently, where, where, where I th- Poroshenko said something like, if we go to other countries, do they have anti-corruption courts? And, and Biden's response was, in my country, every court is an anti-corruption court. And you know, one, of the, one, of, one of the crazy things that we do here, one of the frustrating things that happens in, in conversations about how we change things in Ukraine, is that very often what we're looking for here is a Ukraine-specific solution finding a Ukrainian solution to a generic problem. And, and what Biden said is absolutely correct. You know, should we be looking at the problem with the judiciary in Ukraine of how to resolve this by you know, adding this extra level of an anti-corruption court that would be looking at high-level cases and, and, and could be deemed to be independent? It, that's one approach. But the other pr- approach is let's not reinvent the wheel. Let's, let's not look for a Ukraine-specific solution to a generic problem. Let's look at the way the judiciary works throughout the European Union and throughout North America you know, and, and say that's actually what we want. What, what we want is how it works everywhere yeah, else, where the entire judiciary I, is clean. But I think that's a general understanding. The only problem is that it will take years to replace <laughs> those uh, dozens of thousands of judges, you know. And the problem that I see is that, okay, we're creating this architecture, right? Mm-hmm. We created NABU, then we created specialized prosecutor service. You were talking about uh, prosecution, anti-corruption prosecutor service. Then the idea of anti-corruption court. But then as soon as one of these elements fails, for example, now we see that there are huge problems with the specialized anti-corruption prosecutor, prosecution, and there is a kind of a war between already NABU and general prosecutor. As long, as long as one of the elements fails, uh, the whole system fails. Um, because of what you've just said, I've just realized that I, I made a mistake in some figures that I was quoting earlier on. And so I'd, I'd actually done some research into the size of the judiciary and a potential solution to, to this problem. So earlier on when I said it was 70-something thousand judges, it's not. It's 7,000. I think 7,136 or 7,316 judges throughout Ukraine. It's, it's roughly around there. So I misspoke earlier on. But... 
But at the time that I was looking at the number of judges there are in this country, so what you what you've just said was was the only problem that we have is it will take years to 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 replace all of those judges. The, there are one hundred and seventy thousand at the same time. There are one hundred and seventy thousand legal practitioners in Ukraine, people who are qualified as lawyers, people who have a legal education. That doesn't include the notary republics and, and, and various other people in, 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 in related spheres, right? But just people with a, a, a legal education. And some of them have left the public institutions before because of the corruption, etc. Yes. Yeah. So that, they, yes, they, they may be more honest than all those judges. Exactly, exactly right. And, and, so, and so there's the beginning of the solution there. But, but if, if we look at that number of people who have a legal qualification or a legal education in Ukraine, what we need to replace the judiciary en masse is for 5% of them to be sufficiently patriotic to say, I'm going to go into public service. I want to serve my country, my community, my country folk. And, and that's how I'm going to do it. And as you say, many of them had been in the judiciary and then left to go into private practice for one reason. You know, there's more money for another reason. It's you know, just simply less dirty, right? And what kind of situation are you in where you say, you know, being a lawyer is less dirty? They're, they're, they're not the, I, I have many friends who are lawyers um, and, uh, and, and decent, decent people. But would they be willing to step in and to and and to be a part of the next essential wave of reform that this country really really needs? Five percent of them, yeah, I think you can persuade five percent of them. And 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 does it does it take years to then change this? You know, we 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 could have a pause, a, a moratorium. It's a word that we know in Ukraine very well to do with land sale, obviously. You know, there, there could be a moratorium on the on the hearing of any new cases while it, a, a new judiciary is, is trained and, and sworn in. And, you know, and, and when I say trained, I mean trained in terms of ethical training as well. And you know, the, 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 the difference in this country, if, if you have that rule of law, so think about this. One of, the, one of the major obstacles to attracting foreign direct investment into Ukraine right now is that investors are afraid of, of their future property rights. I mean, the, the largest single investment into the post-Soviet space remains uh, the, as it was then, the metal steel pur- purchase of, of Kirovodorstal for 4.8 billion US dollars following the Orange Revolution. And, you know, that is a, a very successful investment. And, and that mill's been in the, the, the news recently as well because of the employees there considering strike action for, for higher wages and, and everything else. It's It's a very... Uh, the, the work environment that's been created there over the last decade is very democratic. It's, it's very normal. We're talking about a place, you know, way out in, in, in central Ukraine, but a really, really strategically important steel mill. And, and, and it was, you know, $4.8 billion that came into Ukraine's state reserves as a result of that sale. And so, and so if we can move now to establish the rule of law by a, a, a reset of the judiciary, what would be the effect of such uh, 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 an event on the economy of this country? What will happen to FDI if Ukraine can stand up, either before or after the coming presidential elections, if Ukraine can stand up and say, this is what we're doing right now. Here is our overhaul of the judicial system. The rule of law is something that will be guaranteed for all. There will be no political or financial influence 
on judges in the future, pay them a decent you know, wage to uh, remove any motivation to be bought, basically. What, what's going to be the effect on, on Ukraine's economy? What's going to be the boost to foreign direct investment, first of all, and then, and then the follow-on boost to GDP growth? Right, and and we're talking now. I mean, Prime Minister Groisman's talking about GDP growth of of you know four percent, possibly five percent, something like that, from the very low base that Ukraine is starting with right now. We should be talking about twelve percent and fifteen percent and eighteen percent GDP growth. And and if Ukraine delivers a strategic judicial reform to facilitate then the the FDI that this country wholeheartedly deserves and warrants. What are we then going to see with the knock-on effects throughout the, you know, the growth of the economy, the, the, the employment of people, the increase in wages, and so on and so on? Like the, the fabric of this society will change by, yeah. judici- by judicial reform. Let me ask about prevention because we are talking quite often about corruption in terms of you know, judiciary prosecution, basically putting the corrupt guys in jail. But basically... Maybe it's a wrong, also an important, but wrong framing because we should think more about prevention, right? About the yeah. creating a situation when basically there will be no incentive for corruption. What do you think? I think there are two separate answers to this question. One is that many people, since since the last revolution, we have to we have to remember that the price of the last revolution was was a hundred lost lives, the Nebesnaya Sotne. That was a high price to pay, and and. You know, people have said that that the the politicians, the oligarchs, they they had a period of time when they needed to clean up their acts. Some of them will have covered their traces, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You know, there was, there was like a semi-amnesty, and then you draw a line in the sand and you say that is it. From this point forward, there will be none of that you know kind of practice that we that we formerly had. But but. But that just simply hasn't happened. What 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 has happened is that you know the the people who were a part of the system as it was, they they have they've remained either in office or they have friends in office and and they have been protected by the system as it is. And and I believe that you know the the time of the the, the line in the sand was a long long time ago. For for me, it would have been. The 20th of February 2014, that's the line in the sun. But practicalities, you know, t- turning around, turning around corruption in Ukraine must be like turning around one of these massive great big tankers that you see out at sea, right? It's there's so much momentum behind it that that thing's just gonna keep on trucking on in the way that it was, right? So being being realistic, being pragmatic, corruption was never gonna end overnight. But you have to draw a line now. You, you have to say, this does not continue anymore. But the second part of the answer, because it's a, it's a really important question, how, how do we get past this corrupt system that continues to feed itself? The, the second part of the answer lies with the responsibility that all of us have as citizens of Ukraine or as guests of this country. We all have a responsibility to not participate in in the giving of bribes, in the offering of bribes, in in any kind of dirty business where, you know, to try and win a certain business contract, you, you, you're willing to, you know, pay off a share of your profits or whatever else. We all need to, to say, 
that's unacceptable. That, that is not the way that a, 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 a decent civilized society continues. And, and, and whether it's you know, paying bribes to traffic police or, or, or whatever it is, the, 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 the public need to say that, no, we, we're not living that way anymore. We all need to stop. But an interesting thing is that not so many people experience corruption in their own personal lives. If you, if you look at the polls, many people consider corruption as the, one of the biggest problems, but not sure. so many have experienced it themselves. I mean, that means that corruption is not something that really goes deep, deep into the fabric of society, but stays maybe... Uh, at the level of uh, judiciary, at the level of politics, of course, and prosecution, etc. Well, well that, I, I think I think the 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 answer to that is it depends what you uh, deem corruption to be, and the the biggest problems, as as we've just said, are with the judiciary, with the the prosecutors' offices, and so on. And we talked about how changing that can provide a great boost to Ukraine. But I think most people have experienced corruption on a day-to-day level, where you know the 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 to to, to get a child into university. Or to get a, you know a high school leavers certificate examination pass mark, or to get in to see a doctor or whatever you know. And so, for example, the the, the medical side we're seeing great medical reform that's happening right now, um, but it, but it it needs to be a change in the mentality of society that that in the case of the university or the high school or the the the, the medical treatment that that the payment of any kind of fee to facilitate any one of those things becomes taboo it becomes absolutely rejected and and we don't we we don't carry out those kind of practices anymore let me ask a final question maybe uh, what do you think will be the uh, the way out i mean of this difficult situation when we see the progress some progress have been made but there are lots of things to be done what what do you think uh, way out I, I think the, the the way out is is uh, continued hard work and and we, we've seen since the since the last revolution we, we've seen a lot of reformers um, from from two sides we, we've seen uh, a, a significant number of people but still obviously a, a very much a minority a significant number of people go into parliament and to and to affect change from inside of that thoroughly rotten structure still to this date um, but but from the outside what we've seen at the same time so i mean we we also see diplomatic pressure it's nice to see the g7 group of ambassadors and the 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 way that they have um, kind of uh, grouped around the current canadian leadership of the of the g7 and they provide a very strong and unified uh, voice of pressure against the the, the, the authorities. Um, but the, but the element that I really really see is the the civil society groups, the the, the organisations like like Chesnon, like like Dem Alliance, like the the um, rehabilitation package of reforms. You know, I, I could I could name a bunch of of different groups, and they all deserve to be named. And for those of them that I've missed, I apologise, but. Your work is noted and, and and acknowledged and respected and admired. You know that group of people who are nationwide, and and who are a part of bringing change to this country, of identifying where the problems are, and then and then proposing and formulating solutions to them. That's that's the continuation of the way out. We're already on the way out. We, we've already done 
a lot, as I started out saying earlier on, more needs to be done and until we're at the, 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 the kind of level of, of Poland or the Baltics or, you know, I, 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 think it's, I think it's reasonable and realistic that those should be the aims of Ukraine. We should, we should aim to have a, a, a corruption-free society like our neighbors and our, our friends in the, in the Baltics have as well. It's great that the Baltics are such strong supporters of Ukraine in actual fact. And as I mentioned earlier, the business ombudsman is, is, is from the Baltics. We have a former minister, Ivar Sabramovich, who, who is also, you know, Lithuanian. You know, I, I, that should be Ukraine's goal. Nothing less than that is acceptable. And so a, a, a continuation of the work in that, in that direction, but also a very clear goal that is set for us, for Ukraine, for this country, that that's where we're going to get to, not a gradual minimalization and allowing of, you know, a couple of years just to change this in... No, we we now need we we demand an end to the institutional corruption that we see, and and on a personal level, every person in Ukraine should play their part. They should they should play their role by involving themselves in local politics or by by simply being one of those people who says no, I I refuse to make you know things easier with the hundred grievances here and five hundred grievances there. We all have to be a part of this now. Thank you so much, Paul. We had Paul Neeland, who is a columnist at Kiev Post and uh, founder of crowdfunding initiative statement email and commentator of Ukrainian events for wider public. This was Ukraine World, a podcast of an initiative aimed at communicating Ukrainian uh, things and events to a wider audience. My name was uh, my name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. Thanks so much for joining us.